I want to start with a story this morning. It's a story about Jesus. And if you know anything about Jesus, you will know that towards the end of his ministry, he was calling people to follow him. And early on in the ministry, he was calling people to follow him as well. But those who were the insiders were not choosing to follow him. In fact, they were very skeptical about following him. And so as Jesus continued on, he started to continue the challenge. Follow me and you will find life. You will find abundant life. You'll find a new life. But Jesus started to give a warning when he saw the insiders weren't following him. He said, some of you will not be able to follow me because you love your family too much. In fact, Jesus gets very tough and radical and he says, unless you hate your, your mother and your father and your brother and sister, if, if you're not willing to put me before your family, you will not be able to follow me. And then Jesus started messing. He started messing with money and he basically said, if you're not willing to put money aside and to put me first, you're going to have trouble with following me. And so Jesus finds himself now eating and fellowshipping and spending time with sinners. And that's where I want the story to start, where Jesus is sitting with sinners and also with tax collectors. And in that day and age, sitting with tax collectors and sinners, that was synonymous because they have betrayed Israel. They had betrayed their fellow brothers and sisters, and they were not on the good side. They were on the dark side. And Jesus was eating and fellowshipping with them, and they were listening, and, and they were trying to understand what Jesus' message of grace and, and love was all about. But those who were on the inside, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers, or, or sort of the pastors or the elders of that day, or the people who were committed to the Jewish faith, and in for us, it would be those committed to the church. They, they started to grumble and they started to complain. Why, why is Jesus sitting with sinners? Why is Jesus eating with them? Why is Jesus showing them a priority and not showing me a priority? So Jesus goes on and he tells three stories. You're very familiar with them if you've grown up in church, but they're three stories, but they're powerful stories that have a message. The first story is the story of a hundred sheep. 99 are there, they're perfect, they're, they're staying with their shepherd, but one gets lost and one wanders away. And the shepherd makes a radical decision because he moves away from the 99. Now, now that, that wouldn't have been wise, that wouldn't have been smart, but he was so concerned about the one sheep that was lost. And so Jesus abandons everything and he, he, he leaves or the shepherd leaves and he goes and he finds the sheep that was lost. And then Jesus says that the point of the story is once he finds that, that little lamb that was lost, he puts it on his shoulders and he's, he's full of joy and excitement and he goes and he, he finds his friends and his neighbors and he says, rejoice with me. This little lamb that was lost has been found. And then Jesus, when he's telling the story, he, he gives the principle. He says that 
there is so much joy and celebration and gladness in heaven over one sinner who repents. The 99 people that don't need to repent, that are doing it right. And then Jesus continues to reduce the story and he talks about a lady who had 10 coins. Some people think that the first story represents the nation of Israel and the second story represents the church, the the bride of Christ. And that the 10 coins represents Christians, but this lady had 10 coins. And she loses a couple of them, and she, she, she just goes radical looking for these coins, and she turns on the light, and she searches throughout her house, and likewise, when she finds the lost coins, she, she's so excited, and she too, she calls her neighbors and friends and says, rejoice with me. I found my money, which would have been a lot of money in that day and age. She's like, I found it. I'm so excited. And in case... Jesus thought we would miss the point of the story again. He reminds us there is so much joy in heaven. There's gladness in heaven when one sinner repents and comes home. And I've learned as I have studied scripture that when Jesus tells a third story back to back, you better pay attention. Why? Because he doesn't do that. And he wanted us to know something, something intimate and something important. And so he tells the story of a father who has two sons. An older son or an elder son and a younger son. And the younger son goes to his father and says, give me half of my inheritance. Give give me what is owed me. And we know from the way the story is told by Jesus that this is... We're talking probably millions of dollars. This, this was an estate. This was a lot of money. It wasn't just somebody going to dad, normal dad, or mom saying, give me some money. This was a lot of money, and the younger son knew it, and he did something that was never, ever heard of before. He's going and asking for his inheritance before his father even died. In fact, he's basically saying, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. And for some reason, the father gives his money away to the younger son, and he goes out, and he's just reckless. He goes to all the cheesecake factories of the world and just spends all of his money on gambling and sports and life and recreation and just reckless living. But eventually, even though he had tons of money, he lost it all. And he's all alone, and he can't even find someone who will feed him, much less eat with him. And suddenly he comes to his senses, and he creates a story. You know, I'm just going to go back and say, hey, Dad, I'm sorry, I blew it. I sinned against you. I sinned against God. I just sinned against everybody. I'm so horrible, and just make me one of your servants. But the father had been searching and looking for his son, and when he sees his son, He pulls up his robe and he takes off and he runs after him and he embraces him and just shows him so much love and compassion. And he says, you need a new robe, you need your ring back, we're going to throw the best party ever. And he tells his servants, kill the best calf out there, we're going to have a party and we're going to celebrate. And so they began to celebrate. 
But the older brother, the elder brother, wasn't around. He didn't even know that his brother had come back. But he's out in the fields and he's working and he's working hard and he starts to hear music. It's, it's interesting. He hears actually a symphony of music being played. And he starts to go back home and he's like, well, what's happening? And probably in his mind, he's saying, dad has finally came to his senses and he's throwing me a party. And so as he's getting closer and the music's getting louder, he, he calls one of the servants he sees. He says, come tell me what's going on. And I'm sure he's, he's, he's hoping and he's praying, tell me that the party is for me. And the party wasn't for him, it was for his younger brother who had wasted everything, but he had came home. And the servant says that your brother is home, safe and sound, and your dad has decided to celebrate. And it says that the older brother became outraged. He became angry. He just literally, the word is he was full of wrath and anger. And he wouldn't enter into the party. He stood on the outside. And the father who had compassion for his younger son also had compassion for his older son. And he goes out and he tries to encourage him, to exhort him, to challenge him, to come in and to celebrate because his his brother was home. And the older brother revealed that his anger really wasn't with his brother. His anger was at his dad. He was angry at his dad because he felt that he had served his father faithfully. And he had never disobeyed him. Yet his father never had a party for him. So that he could celebrate, not with his father, but with his friends. And what is interesting is that the father continues to encourage, continues to comfort. He says, son, what are you talking about? I've always been here with you. You're with me. You're present. And guess what? Your younger brother has lost everything, but you still have everything. Everything that I have belongs to you. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be rich. You're going to be successful and you're going to be prosperous. Everything that I have already belongs to you. But he said, we have to celebrate. It was necessary to celebrate because your brother who was lost has been found. Your brother who was dead is alive. And what's interesting is the story just sort of ends there with an open invitation and we just don't know what the older son decides to do. Whether he decides to go in or he decides to remain on the outside. You see this story of Jesus, which is actually multiple stories, is a story that I believe fits with our series so well Sit with me. Because it's about a relationship and it's about sitting with sinners and it's sitting with prodigals and it's sitting with our Heavenly Father and it's understanding how they work together in sitting with joy. I want you to see this here this morning. Um, we need to ask ourselves a question. Who are we sitting with? 
You see, Jesus, he was sitting with sinners, right? Jesus was sitting and to show that he was really intimate with them, he was eating with them. He was fellowshipping with them. He was taking time to talk to them and to listen to them and to understand their story. There's an invitation for all of us. I think sometimes we forget, uh, because we don't pray it very often, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven there is joy and rejoicing with the heavenly Father over people whose lives are being changed. People who are deciding to follow Christ and to change direction in their lives. That should be happening here on earth. Every worship service should be a worship service of celebration, knowing that sinners are coming to Christ and following Christ. And that that's what our Heavenly Father is anxious about. That's why he, I think he designed even worship services so that we could be rejoicing for changed lives. But maybe since we're not eating with sinners, maybe we're not experiencing that here on earth. Notice, though, that the oldest son, he, he was more concerned about being with his friends, being with his family, being with those he knew well. It says that the, the prodigal was with prostitutes, and we'll see in a little bit, maybe that isn't exactly the way it was, but he definitely with, was with idols. He was with pleasure. He was with things that didn't matter to his earthly father and to his heavenly father. But the thing that we can't miss as we go through the story this morning is that the father was always there with his son. And even though the prodigal walked away, the father was still there with his prodigal son as well, wanting a relationship with him. So the question this morning is, who are you sitting with? As we're going through this Sit With Me series, we've talked about sitting with those who are grieving. We've talked about sitting with others in church and coming together and rejoicing with others and being glad when others say, hey, let us go to the house of the Lord because that's where the peace and the prosperity is found. That's where I give it my all. That's where I'm all in is at church. And I, I want to worship there with others. We sit with others who are lonely and feeling like there's no one to care for them and to encourage them and they're feeling abandoned and we need to come along that's what the church is all about sitting with those who are all alone and today we're going to see something that i believe is something that is a long overdue message not only in our church but in the church of america we need to be sitting with sinners and with prodigals but not only that, we need to be taking it the next step when the sinners and the prodigals repent and change their ways. We need to sit with them as well. You see, everybody listening to me today is either a believer or an unbeliever. 
a follower of Christ or yet you haven't decided to follow Christ. Christ isn't a priority in your life or Christ is a priority in my life. That's sort of the, the simple basics. And if you're not yet a believer or a follower in Jesus Christ, I want you to listen to this message this morning through the lens of who your heavenly father is, who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and to understand that he in the midst of your sin, he loves you, he cares about you, he wants to offer you his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And there is no better decision you can make than to trust in your heavenly father and the provision in his son Jesus Christ for your sins. But likewise, for those of you who are believers in Christ this morning, there's two types of believers. One is like the younger brother, and they're prodigals. You may be saying, Mark, I don't think a prodigal is here. I'm... Let me tell you, there's some prodigals here. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're here. And we'll see what the prodigal was all about, but he was more about what he could get from God than what he could be in a relationship with God. But some of you are a prodigal, and some of you have repented, and some of you still need to repent, and some of you have changed your course and you're still feeling like the prodigal. You're feeling left out because the other half of us are like the older brother. We grew up in church. We live in church. We, we try to do what is right. We try to tithe and give and serve and participate and be involved. We try to be all in. And even in the fact that some of us are like the older brother, there's two types of older brothers then, those who are judgmental of the prodigals and those who reach out to the prodigals. So what I want us to do is look at some principles and then I want us to get real practical this morning. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I probably have spoken on this passage at least three to five times um, in the course of ministry. And every time that I speak on this self-righteous brother or the older brother or the elder brother, I feel convicted myself. And I find that others are convicted. And so just so that we can get the story and understand what's happening, Luke 15 verse 17 is where I believe it starts. 15.17 says, but when he, that's the prodigal, came to himself, literally came to his senses, came to an understanding that he was on the wrong path and that he needed to change course in his life, it says in 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He's not only hungry, he's all alone in his hunger. There's no one to give him anything, to give him any substance and nourishment. He says in verse 18, I'll rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Let your eyes drop to verse 20. And he said, and he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him and he, he just loved him. And 21 says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he sort of says, shh. Verse 
bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate they began the party they began to rejoice there's gladness it's it's not the joy that is in the first two stories which is internal this is external this is everybody joining in together in the celebration then notice Verse 25, it says, now this older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard the music, again, the symphony and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, what these things mean? 27, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. Literally, he, again, he was full of wrath and indignation and jealousy and hatred. And he was very passionate about this. His father came out and entreated him. Literally, his father was the paraclete. I've mentioned that before. It's a paraclete. We know that the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. Paraclete, I talk about it with small groups. Paraclete means to come alongside and to encourage sometimes to exhort, sometimes to challenge. And this is what the father is doing. And he entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed. I want to say hogwash, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And right there, I have to be honest, if I was the father, I would have punched him, Okay. Notice what he says. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And, and this is an important truth for us who follow Jesus Christ. God is always with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. If anybody has moved, it's us, not our heavenly father. And notice what he says, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting, it was necessary, it was right, it was what we had to do. We had to celebrate and we had to be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at the principles that will allow us to sit with prodigals, to sit with sinners to sit with people who have lost their way, who are confused, who, who have bought into the world's goods, who view church from a consumer mentality, what we can get from God rather than what we can do to be with God. And I know this is hard. It's hard for me to, as a pastor to, to reach out to people who are hurting, especially when they know that I'm a pastor. Oh, here comes the pastor. Why is the pastor inviting me to church? What's he thinking about me? So I get it. I get rejection, but we need to understand Jesus, the reason these stories were told was Jesus was eating with sinners and he was eating with prodigals. 
So notice this first principle. It's so important. We can't think that we are better than what we really are, or we're not going to be able to sit with anybody. You see, the older brother's problem when it's all boiled down was he was self-righteous. And I may add, he was a self-righteous jerk, to be honest. He thought he was better than his brother, but he thought he was better than what God even laid out that we should be. You see, every time we think we're better than someone else, we think we're better at following Christ, we're better at serving, we're better at teaching, we're better at living the Christian lifestyle, we're better. We have a better marriage, we're better parents, we're better, you fill in the blank. Once we go down that road that we think that we are better than we are, we're missing the point. You you see this in verse 29. This is self-righteousness. This is pride. When he says, look, these many years I have served you. You know what the word there is? I've been your slave. I wasn't doing anything out of joy and wanting to have a relationship with my father. I I, I became your slave, Dad. I was doing things that I shouldn't be doing because I'm entitled to to more. I'm better than that. But then he he goes on, and this is where, again, I, I said hogwash or whatever word you want to put in there. I never disobeyed your command. He he, he was self-righteous just like the rich young ruler. Oh, all the commandments, I've obeyed them all perfectly. You know, I I just did everything right. Now, I got a great older brother. And I'm not going to tell any stories about him, but he's one of those brothers who's always right. And I don't know how that works because I'm always right too. But uh, I got a brother that thinks he's always right. He always does things better and better with his money, better with his kids, better, better, better. He's always giving me that better advice. But one thing I know about my brother is he's not perfect. Neither am I perfect. And whenever we get to the point where we say we're better than, we are in trouble. Because last time I looked, we're all equal sinners in need of the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. No one is better than someone else when it comes to following Jesus Christ. The invitation is always the same. Come and follow me. Come and drink and I will give you living water. Believe in me and I will give you new life. it's an invitation, it's it's all the same. We're not better than others, but anytime you think you're better than someone else, you're not going to be able to sit with them and to encourage them. Here's the second truth we need to understand. We must choose the father rather to be in the fields. Now, I know this is hard probably talking to farmers. You may not get this, or growing up in the church, you may not get this because didn't Jesus say the fields are ripe and they're ready for harvest and we need to be out there in the fields? What I'm talking about is when it comes to serving the Lord, that can't trump our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's sort of the Mary and Martha and 
when Martha's all concerned about serving Christ rather than sitting and being with Christ. You see, I, I've seen it throughout the years in church. People, they're like, oh yeah, I'm there, but I never talk to anybody. I never even sing. I never even fellowship. Every church has, has people in the church that are always serving in the fields, in my estimation, but they're never entering into worship and fellowship and joy in the congregation and the life that God wants to bring. It's not about being in the fields. It's about being with our father. You see, if he was with his father, he would have known that his son had came home. If he was with his father, he would have known that his father had compassion for his younger brother. If he was with his father, he would have said, hey, dad, let's kill that fat calf that you had for me because I am so excited that my brother's home. But when we get in the fields, we start developing that pride and that self-centered attitude. Notice this, we must feel joyful acceptance rather than anger. Again, the anger wasn't at the prodigal and the sinner, the anger was at the father. You see, once we start thinking that God is being too gracious, God is being too kind, God is being too loving, we're never going to enter in. You know, the Bible is clear. Paul, of all people, he, he constantly would say, again, Paul understood what it meant not to be accepted because he was known as a murderer, a murderer of Christians. He was against Christ in the church. And in Romans 15, he says, accept one another, receive one another, welcome one another. Just as your heavenly father, just as Christ has accepted you and welcomed you, we, we need to joyfully accept one another. But if we are caught in our sin and still our self-righteousness and we don't understand that God is gracious and loving and accepting and welcoming us into a relationship with him, it's going to be hard for us to do that. And one of the things I constantly have to ask myself, and I want to ask more of you sometimes, and I want to ask Christians, why are we so angry? What are we angry about? We got a God who loves us, who cares for us, who's accepted us, who died for us, who says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But until we can get to the joyful acceptance, maybe of our own relationship with God, but our joyful acceptance of others, we will never sit with someone. We must feel gratitude rather than entitlement. You know, in this story, he felt he was entitled. You know, I served you all these years and you never gave me. What was he serving for? What was he slave for? He wanted something. He wanted a party. He wanted a celebration. He wanted something from his father. And one of the values that, that I've tried to instill in our family and one of the things that I have to work on is the, the whole issue of gratitude. Being thankful for what I have and what God has provided. And when we start feeling we're entitled, especially in the church, I'm entitled for church to go my way. I'm entitled for Christianity to go my way. I'm entitled for God to bless me. 
I'm entitled for my marriage to work out. I'm entitled for my kids always to be perfect. I'm entitled. Once we go down that road, rather than the gratitude that we have that everything, every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father, we're going to be in trouble. Now here's what I want us to talk about this morning with the remaining minutes. Sitting with others begins when we draw near to them so that we can talk and listen to their story. We need to be able to talk with one another and listen to one another. One of the things that really jumped out at me is in Luke 15, 1, when it says that the sinners and tax collectors were there to listen to Jesus. You know, sometimes we don't want to sit with sinners or prodigals because we, we, we don't want to look like we're, we're agreeing with their lifestyle or the choices that they're making. But I don't believe Jesus was sitting there saying, yeah, you're, you're a sinner, keep on sinning. No, he was talking to them about grace and mercy and life change and forgiveness and hope and that you can change course, you can change direction, you, you, you can get actually your relationship right. But too often we're too busy, we don't care enough, we don't have the compassion to sit with others enough to listen to their story. Now, this is what I want you talking about in your next step groups, if you're in a next step group, are some of these categories. What I have witnessed over the past 25 years in ministry is that when it comes to the church, accepting those who had gone through, and I just listed a few of these on the screen, divorce, sexual immorality, what I would call just spiritual immaturity and addictions, abandonment either of the church that they're a church family of or abandonment of their own family. We, we have trouble welcoming them back. Just, just look at the first one of divorce. And especially divorce and remarriage. And not just here at our church, but in every church I've been a part of, I've had somebody say, you know, I'm divorced. Or I'm divorced and remarried. And, you know, people just don't accept it. They look at me with a skeptical eye. They don't want me to be a part of their group. It's sort of like I got a plague or something. And then when I maybe mention it to, to somebody who is not divorced and not remarried, you know, they say, well, doesn't Jesus say something about divorce and remarriage? And so, for example, in Luke 16, this is what Jesus has to say. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And we're not supposed to associate with those people, are we? As a pastor, I've listened to a lot of stories. There, there's a lot of people that are divorced who never wanted to be divorced. There are some people that are divorced because they did make some very foolish decisions. There's some people that got remarried because they did get their life back together and they were seeing Christ work in a very special way. 
But the one thing I've learned is each story is different. When I first got into ministry, and I had a Christian family degree in my Master's of Theology, I had a wedding policy and a marriage contracts and all this, and, and I had a very strong one when it came to divorce and remarriage. And that, that was before I ever started talking to people in my office. And, and you won't believe some of the stories and some of the pain and some of the heartache. And what breaks my heart is some people who are divorced and remarried, who are Christians and who have turned their life around, feel more acceptance outside the church than they feel inside the church. That shouldn't be. That should never be. The same is true with sexual immorality. Oh yes, I can... I've memorized all the passages. Don't you know that those who commit sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God? Flee from sexual immorality. But let me tell you, when, again, when people come into a pastor's office and they say, hey, I, I got a story to tell you that I've never told anybody. Guess what it's about? It's about sexual immorality. It's about pornography. It's about struggling with their sexual identity. It's about living with somebody. I've been with so many people that are in church and and they come to church and they're living with somebody and they just don't know how to make it right. But what do we do when they do make it right? Do we still hold it over them? Do we hold it against them? Or do we rejoice with them that they... They're getting it right. They're taking steps towards purity. They're making steps in the right direction. My desire is for everybody to be following Jesus and growing in their relationship with the Lord. But the truth of it is, many struggle with spiritual immaturity. They're still baby Christians. And in the church, if we say, oh, yeah, I know my Bible better, or I would never make that decision, or, yeah, hopefully you wouldn't make that decision because you are passionate about your relationship with the Lord and you want to do everything right, but some people aren't there. They're believers. They're just making some really bad decisions, and and then they're off course. They need somebody to sit with them and to talk with them. And maybe help them get back on course. I've been talking to Mackenzie some, and sometimes I talk to, to Micah, but Mackenzie's getting at that age of drinking. And uh, so somebody who's a little bit older and wanted her to, to have a drink, and so Mackenzie was talking about drinking, and Michelle and I were talking about just drinking and, and where I got my convictions from, and uh, as I've shared, I was a drug and alcohol counselor, and I was a drug and alcohol counselor basically when I was 21 years old, and I was in the addiction field, and I saw people and what they were going through. My, my job was to, to do their intakes for the most part, and so they would have to tell me their life story, and I would have to listen to their story. 
and I saw how addiction destroyed their life. But everyone that I talked to, they had, they had pain and they had brokenness and they were looking for answers, but sometimes they just couldn't get out of it. And there are so many things to be addicted to today. It's not just alcohol. It's not just narcotics. It's not just depression medicine and all this stuff that's out there. There's food addictions, sex addictions. You go on and on and on and on. But what we need to be doing as a church is coming alongside those who are trying to make steps and attempts to get out. And we need to be talking to them in such a way that we understand their pain, we understand their story. And we need to come alongside sometimes the parents who have kids that are struggling in addictions and say, I'm here to sit with you, I'm here to pray with you, I'm here to encourage you. And, and I don't know how to, to list the last one of abandonment, but I know that, and I feel this as a pastor, when when somebody leaves the church and leaves the church family and when I see them and I, I see maybe that they're still rejecting me but sometimes I, I see stories where they're living for the Lord and I'm like, Mark, where are you going to be? Are you going to be like the, the older brother or are you going to be like your heavenly father? And there's people that have abandoned They're physical families. But what we need to be able to do is not just, again, accept them in what they are doing, but when they turn the corner, when they decide to get things right, and maybe if they're not even there, we need to sit with them and help them to turn the corner because that's what the church is all about. Your Father in heaven is rooting for you. He's rooting and inviting you to take the right choice to follow him. We as believers who have been making the right choices, we need to come along others who are making right choices in following Christ. That's where encouragement and joy and gladness comes in. But if we're going to continue to, to say, you know what, look at them. Look at their story. I'm so glad that that's not my story. That's not what the church is about. The church should be the most gracious and warm and inviting place. Where people who are struggling with sin and discouragement and what it means to follow Christ can find love and acceptance. There's three different ways to look at this story this morning. There's this way. There's the elder son who wasn't concerned about sitting with his father. He was doing stuff for God. He was living for God and it sounds good. He was trying to do everything right, but deep down, he was doing it for God because he wanted something in return. He wanted his reward. He wanted the dividends. He wanted God to come through with, for him when he needed it the most. There's the prodigal who was just concerned on what he could get from God. 
Give me your money. Give me your money now. Give me your blessing now. Make sure that my life is perfect here on earth and everybody can see how wonderful of a person I am. But deep down, there's a heavenly father. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I want to be with you. And I want you to be with your brother and sister in Christ. And I want you to celebrate.